Good morning. The children are dismissed as they know to Children's Church. Just like that, November's over, pretty much. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings, Lord. We thank you for this weather that we have. We thank you for everyone that is in this room today. Lord, you know every spiritual need. You know every heart condition in this building today. And so, Father, we call upon you. We ask that, Lord, you would move by the power of your Holy Spirit upon those that need that special touch from you today, that, Father, we would be moved by your living and active word that you've given us, and that, Father, those who are struggling with unbelief, struggling in their marriages, struggling with their finances, whatever it may be, Lord, may we come before you and give those things to you today, for you are the author and the finisher of our faith. So I ask that you would guard my lips and bless this time. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. If you turn with me to 1 Samuel 31, we are going to be finishing this book today. 1 Samuel 31. Sorry. Yeah, 1 Samuel 31. I'll start reading. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the Israelites fled before them, and many of them fell slain at Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan and Abinadab, and Malachi Shoah. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and three of his sons and his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa, and they cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Asheros and fastened his body to the wall of the Beth Shan. When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard of what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men journeyed through the night to Beth Shan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Beth Shan and went to Jabesh, where they, buried them, where they burned them. And then they took their bodies and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. Now, you might, if you're visiting today and you hear that, you might be like, what is this story? It seems very violent, and I hate to say it, but there's a lot of violence in the Bible. There's just also a lot of violence in the world. Pretending that it doesn't exist does not make it disappear. 
Now I'm saying as we look at this, it's important because we've looked at the life of Saul and King David. We know that David was a man after God's own heart. And we know that Saul started off really well. He was the people's choice of word, if you will. He was a king that the people demanded. And even though God warned the people what would happen, they still wanted a king. Why do people want a king? Why do we want a, a king? Why do we want a president? Why do we want a leader? Someone to maybe blame? Yeah, and everybody else. Let's be like everybody else, right? Does those mindsets plague us today? It can, right? There's nothing wrong with leadership. There's nothing wrong with kings, but it, it wasn't God's way was the problem. They were impatient. They wanted something else. God had given them a leader. If you remember, it was Samuel, but they were growing tired. They were impatient. It's kind of like the Israelites when they were freed from Egypt, they were impatient because they were in the desert and it was uncomfortable. And then what did they do? They began to complain and then compare about how much greater their life was in the past because of their current difficult situation. It's the same thing for Christians today. God can uh, come into your life, restore, begin to heal you, free you from addictions, do things in your life. But yet when things get hard and tough, instead of waiting patiently or surrounding yourself with the right people and going to the right things, you begin to look at how your life used to be. And I think if we're all honest, we can always default back to our past, right? Some of you judge your future entirely on your past experiences, especially in relationships. That's not healthy either, correct? So as we look at this life of Saul, we're gonna see how a man who started well ended badly, right? So we're going to see how a man started well ended badly. So we're going to look at a few things and how that applies to us. Now let's look at some of the good things in Saul's life. He started off well. He was tall and handsome. He was a great warrior. He was charismatic and he was even courageous in battle. And per the Jewish Talmud, which, by the way, is a body of Jewish civil and ceremonial law and legend, it is written that he actually gave money to the poor. He helped those in the community. He gave money out of his own purse, by the way, not just from the general funds. He also helped brides-to-be. So there's legend and tradition that Saul was a man of the people. Okay? Maybe that did lead possibly to why he was so angry when what was the one hit wonder we were talking about? Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. So maybe Saul just, I mean, we can only guess his motives. We, we won't know. You can't know the motives of someone. We can look at the fruit and we can look at his life. So we see Saul, who's a man that, you know, according to Jewish tradition, he actually did a lot of good things in some of the, in, in his leading. Okay, one, he got rid of pretty much all the bad people, the bad tribes that they were supposed to go, that they were fighting against, the, the, those that were sacrificing their infants to Baal and Moloch and all these other things. He got rid of all of them, but he spared one king that he wasn't supposed to. And then on top of that, so the compromise started to go right there. And then in the midst of it, with all the things that he had done, all the good things he was doing, he still didn't get rid of the Philistines. And even though he knew 
that God had removed his anointing from him. Remember, now if you remember what the anointing is in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is when God empowers somebody for a specific purpose, either through prophecy or these other things today. Today as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. When you give your life to Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the more you yield to the word of God in your life and to Jesus in your life, that still small voice, the more you're able to hear what the Spirit is saying. Now in the Old Testament, they would have leaders and prophets and priests. Jesus is our ultimate priest. Amen. But in the Old Testament, you would have to go before this man and these priests, the, the Levites and, and all this other stuff. But it was never really meant to fully work because it couldn't. Because we were meant to have that relationship with God, that communion that was broken because of sin. Now Saul, in all that he was doing, seemingly good, it, you would think he, he totally exemplified self-sacrifice, of course, to the tradition in some sense. We're looking at it through the perspective of David, but if we just met him a few times, you might say, hey, you know, he's a pretty good guy. He fought against and defeated, like I said, the enemies and the Philistines were the only ones that he didn't. He also did unite the tribes. And even after receiving the prophecy and the word that he would go and die into battle with his sons, he still went. So either he did that out of being presumptuous or he did that out of courage. I don't know. But nonetheless, he still fought in battle. And so we can look back at it and look at it in this way. It seems that Saul, one thing we know for certain is he made a lot of excuses for his actions and didn't take responsibility when confronted. You will notice all throughout scripture, when God confronts a person, even with Jesus at the woman at the well, he gives them an opportunity to repent. He gives them an opportunity to come clean. A lot of the times they didn't come clean. If you can't admit that you need a savior, you're never going to experience God in your life. You know, you can have all, you could do good things and think you're a great person, but on whose standards? Yours? You know, I was just talking in the back earlier. Think about it. What makes a good person or a woman, a man or a woman? And who gets to decide? Because even sociopaths think they're good people. It's the fruit that you have with the people around you that determine whether or not you're even doing anything good. And I don't believe anything good from any of us can really come without God's intervention. You can do nice things, but to live a life where you do nice things, even if you don't see anything come immediately back to you for doing it, it's a God thing, right? It's easy to help someone that's going to help you back. It's different to help someone that you know will never help you back. It's different to love someone that will never love you back. It's different to, to be there for someone even though they may never be there for you in your time of need. All things that a Christian is called to do unto the Lord, right? So here we have this picture of Saul, and now we have the bad. He was presumptuous with his sacrifice at Gilgal. Remember, he wanted to go to battle, and then he didn't want to wait on the Lord, so he did it his own way. There was the compromise that he had with the king that I mentioned earlier. He let him live when he was told not to. He built monuments unto himself. Now we look back in history, when we see monuments of people, you know, Stalin or all these other things, you can see he built a monument unto himself, even though he know God, God is the one who put him in the position. He begins to resent 
and then feel insecure and was completely jealous towards David. Now, if you remember, and we know just by his actions, if he had known what Samuel had done in anointing David, he would have killed him. Because we know he tried to kill David many times. Not only that, he tried to kill his own son. And he murdered a lot of people because he was angry and his pride. So all of these things he was doing, right? And still unrepentant. He was wounded pride. He had violent temper. And he was greatly influenced by public opinion, right? He cared so much about what people thought and the fact that they might like David more than him that it drove him crazy, in fact, it was crazy, and then David was the one that would play and help him in his moments of insanity, if you will. The Lord allowed that. That Can you imagine being in the house and then being the armor bearer and then being there with Saul and then all of this taking place? And if you remember, I say it over and over again, David at this time was doing, seemingly doing everything right, but he was still on the run and hiding in caves. Would you say that's an uncomfortable life? Now, I'm not saying that you have to have an uncomfortable life. But to be honest, we live in a life that is oftentimes uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that God abandoned you. Can you agree on that? It doesn't mean that he has forgotten you. Right? There's some of you that think that because of your circumstances in your life, some may be even out of your control, that somehow God has not heard your prayer or he has forgotten you, and that is not the truth. Seek him and find him with your whole heart. He will make a way, he can make a path, and he can help you rise up under the hardest of trials for his name's sake, right? So here we have this look, if we will. There's, so what does he do? If we want to sum up Saul's life with all the good and the bad, we would say he's a fool. And you know, when we think about fool... It's actually what he called himself in 1 Samuel 26, 21. He says, I was a fool. He says, he says, I played the fool to David. This is like the third time I believe David spared his life. Remember, David would go and hide. First he was in the cave going to the restroom. He cut his thing. The other time he took his water bottle and other things. And, and he let Saul know, I had you, but I gave you grace and didn't take you out. Even though all of David's men are like, God gave him to you, just take him out. See, David rose above the opinions of others and was, was faithful to what he knew God put on his heart. He didn't compromise in that sense. And even though his men were probably going, what is wrong with you, dude? This guy's been trying to kill us. I want to go home. I don't want to live in a cave anymore. You're failing all your men right now. Just get, get, be done with him. But he knew that God didn't tell him to do that, right? He wanted to be faithful to the Lord. So let's look at what a fool is. No one likes to be called a fool, right? If we were to look at the, the secular definition of a fool, in Webster it would say, a fool is someone without, who is without well-developed reason. A person who lacks the basic skills or ability to judge rightly, one who acts unwise, a feeble-minded person. That's one that no one wants to think about. What is a feeble-minded person? No one know? Huh? Weak. weak. Okay, what's an example of being weak-minded? You just believe everything you see in here? On the big screen? Could that make us feeble-minded? No critical thinking? Okay. What else? Not 
easily persuaded where all the majority goes, that's where you're going to go, regardless if it's true, right? We all like to be liked, right? We all like the approval of others, even if we say we don't, right? But what happens if the, the majority is going the wrong way? Are we willing to say, no, nah, I don't want to do that? You know, they've done all kinds of tests psychologically with people in regards to can they cause, if they didn't have to see and they had a person in the other room, right, and that person, they would be on the other side and they would push a button, and every time that push in, they pushed the button, the person would scream like they're being electrocuted. But they realized that if people were told it's okay to do that enough, and that the person asked a question and they didn't answer it correctly, you know, there's a reason. So they're not fully responsible for what they did when they pushed the button. And if they were told it's their job to do so, you would be disgusted on how many people just did it because it was their job to do so. Even though in their conscience, they knew it was probably morally wrong or was morally wrong, right? What does that tell you about, that would be weak-minded. Doing what someone else tells you to do without, because you want their approval or, or whatnot instead of actually listening. So we don't wanna be foolish. No one likes to be called a fool. That's like a really mean thing to say, right? But we all know what it's like when we're being foolish, thinking that consequences won't catch up with us. There's another side of being a fool. It's, it's someone who knows the right thing to do but continually does the wrong thing. They're living a life of a fool. They know better, but they're choosing to do wrong, right? Self-destructive. A lot of people, now, now given there is mental illness insure in some of this where people over time, they don't understand, but I would say a lot of it is self-inflicted based on continual bad choices and no hope. So they'd rather be self-destructive than take responsibility because they don't believe if they take responsibility, it's gonna change anything. And in the world standards, you wouldn't think so, but biblically, it changes everything. And with the right help, people can get better, they can do better, they can make better decisions, they can live a better life. Some people who know what it's like to be in, under addiction know what it's like if you've been freed from addiction. Some of you have never been addicted to anything. Maybe it's just whatever in your life. But some do know what that's like. And in my own personal life, I know for a fact there was a time I never thought I would be free of certain things, and I'm free from those things today. But it's only because of God. But if you were to try to convince me that, I wouldn't believe you because it was so far down the rabbit hole that I didn't think it was possible, right? See, hope that we have as Christians is different than what the world gives, right? Saul was disobedient, and instead of repenting or calling out to God and asking for forgiveness, he cared more about what would happen to his body. Now, given if we were in that situation, I don't think this, I'm not sure if this is a Harry Carey type, samurai type thing he was doing, but I could say this, you know, back then in battle, that might have been something that they would do. But the point is, he cared more about how he would be seen than where his heart was. And we already know his heart was in a bad place. And he had multiple times to repent, and he didn't. He was playing roulette. He was thinking, hey, I'll just do it next time. Do we sometimes do that in our lives? Well, I'll just, I'll, I'll call out to God when it works for me. I won't have that relationship because I'm not in need right now. You know, there's different types of foolishness, right? 
So that's the secular version of what it would be to be a fool. One who is easily imposed upon. Saul played the fool. He says that in 2621, 1 Samuel 2621. The biblical definition of fool is normally twofold. I just gave you one as it says in Psalm 14 verse 1. Write it down. Those who seem to know what's right from wrong, but they prefer to select the wrong. They keep making bad decisions. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but a fool despises wisdom and instruction. We could sum that up and say they are unteachable. Would you think a fool could be unteachable? Instead of, uh, you know, they're not going to be teachable. There's no discernment. They don't seek. They don't, they don't want to know. They don't want to learn. It's, a, it's kind of a lazy mindset. But we are told the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you recognize that we serve a mighty God, and whether you believe he's God or not, doesn't matter in the sense of him changing how God he is. He is God. People who say, I don't believe in God, doesn't change the fact that he is God. Right? He is God. Well, I don't know if I like that idea. He is God. He is before all. He knows all things. He's from the beginning, from the end. He knows everything. He knows everything you've done and everything you will do. And he still sent his son to die for you so that you can have hope in this world. We live in a world desperate for hope. And they put it in all the wrong things just to end up in the same place. Right? And here we have an example of a man who had an opportunity and wasted it. Even upon his death, he could have made changes, and he wasted it. He chose to take his life. So even from all this, the picture that we have, it says also in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross to them that perish, it is foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. In the world's standards, if you're a Christian, you're a fool because you're putting your hope in something you can't see, and you're living a fairy tale life. Some of you have had people say that to you. Some of you have wondered it. You'd be, you'd, you'd be lying to yourself if you said you didn't. Sometimes you wonder, what are we doing? Right? That's why we have this here. A fool says in his heart that there is no God. Think about how arrogant that is when you look at how small we are and you look up into space and we're like, there's no God. I just know that for an absolute. How could you even think of something like that? But yet we do all the time. We can live our life and justify the things that we do and act like there's no consequences. But the truth is, it doesn't change truth from error. Error is always going to be error, and truth is truth. It says, you, when you, you shall seek the Lord with all your heart, right? What will set you free? His truth. The truth of the Lord will set you free. Amen? You know, when you think about it, that's what sets you free, knowing the truth about who you are, who we are, what this earth's all about. Knowing that truth is where freedom comes. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth that Jesus Christ came, lived with us, as it says in Emmanuel, he was God with us, walked among us, was that perfect sacrifice, stood in our place so that we could have a right relationship with God, even though many will reject him. Even though many of them can play church but never really wanted to know him. And then this is one that I think everyone should understand. If you're struggling with, whoa, I don't know. And that's okay to say, I don't know. There's a lot of people that said they didn't know. Jesus met them where they were at. 
The truth is it'll come down to a point where you have to decide, will you take a step of faith and trust him at his word, or will you continue to go the way you want and expect a different result, right? And here we have it. It's very clear in scripture, 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So your natural flesh in your life, you can't understand the Bible. People go, I've read the Bible, I don't get it. Because you can't get it without the Spirit of God. Well, how do I get the Spirit of God? You take the gospel message, you accept Jesus in your life, you admit that you need him, you confess your sins before him, and you, you come before him and you say, I need you in my life. I know that I'm a sinner and I need you. If, you, if we're honest, we don't see a lot of that in the church today. In some churches today, right? A lot of it has turned more into what God's going to do for you and how he's going to have your back. And some of that can be true. But the gospel message is he is God. He is a holy and righteous God. And we have a hope because through him, we are holy and righteous. Amen? We can have that new life. And people don't understand. Well, how do you have hope? How can you expect? We live in a society, did you know that the third, third leading cause of suicide between 15 and 24-year-olds is suicide is the leading cause? The third leading cause or the third, you know what I mean, leading cause of death, right, is suicide between 15 and 24. Do you know that 40% of the suicides are done in a drastic moment of emotion? No real thought to the consequences? I'm saying that because here Saul is, he took his life, his armor bearer fell upon the sword himself and did the same thing. He didn't think about the consequences. It was easier to take the easy way out. And see, that's just it. That's the curse. Now, I'm not talking about certain mental illness situations. The majority of people today in a child's life or a teenager's life, it is so absolute and so different and emotional right now compared to, I can say, even when I was in high school. We live in a very trying time a very trying time that people are just, well, they're weaker, they fall apart easier, and we live in a society that they're just bombarded with all this technology, they don't know where they fit in. I would say they need hope, amen? We have that hope. So, I mean, to be aware of it, to, to think about it, let's look at the few things that do stand out that Saul did the negative, you know, why was he a fool? He neglected his godly friends. He neglected doing the right thing. He did not wait upon the Lord. He disobeyed in the little as well as the big. Thought he was doing God's will when he wasn't, and he made excuses. He let jealousy corrupt him, and he turned to a witch at the end, which we heard, you know, a couple weeks ago. In other words, all these things, instead of taking responsibility, he blame-shifted, and he neglected the right people in his life. He neglected his friendship with Samuel. He knew that Samuel would give him the answers. He knew that Samuel heard from the Lord, but when it didn't go his way, he didn't want to hear from Samuel anymore. So think about that. I'm not saying we're all going to be like, like Saul, but in a lot of ways, we can be that. We can neglect doing the right things or being around the right people. And how many of you know bad company corrupts good manners? Right? You will become what you associate with, regardless if you think you will. You want to play in darkness, the darkness will overtake you if you keep walking in it. You go, well, the Lord will protect you. Yes, God has protection, and sometimes we walk out from it and, and in presumption think that everything's going to be okay. There's still consequences. But see, God is faithful to restore and to heal. 
And we get to see all of Israel as an example of that, don't we? They make mistakes and God still heals and restores and provides. Even in difficult times. So I want to say these things as we looked at how he said he was a fool. And, and he said it with his own mouth. But even though he said it, had the right words to say, his actions showed differently. He never really changed with his attitude towards David. So those, those in the world, you know, in the same way that they, they can play roulette or think they can do whatever. It says no one can come to God unless he first draws them. So we need to keep that also in mind. So all these opportunities, when you feel convicted by God with something or you feel like you should do something, don't assume that 20 minutes or even an hour from now, it's going to be the same. See, when God speaks to us, we have, an, we have an opportunity to act, to respond. Either it's if he says, go pray, go get my word, go call this person, or do these things. Those are opportunities for us to grow and be sensitive to the spirit and hear what he's saying. And I say that because it's important because we live in a time where, you know, you might wonder, what are we doing? Are we just playing church? Because there's a lot of people in Jesus' day that played church. You know, we want to be something different than that. We want to have a relationship, right? So a lot of times you can ask yourself, what would be upon your tombstone? If you were to think about it, what would be on your tombstone? What would be on Saul's tombstone? A man who turned his back on God. He wasted his life chasing fleas. Now you go, what does that mean? Well, remember David came to him and said, why would you keep chasing me? I'm nothing more than a flea on a dog. He's all, and you know what? Saul spent all his time and resources chasing David because he couldn't stand that people liked David more than him. Think about that. Now, does that live in the world today, that same animosity? Yeah, it's a waste of time. Now, I'm not saying you guys deal with that, but you might know someone who's dealing with it. You might know someone that struggles with those things. So I want to encourage you with this as we get ready to go into this busy month, right? We're going to be in a busy month, and some of you are like, I'm already wishing Christmas was over. Not that you're against Christmas, but... Let's be honest, it's a push, push, push type deal. We just, just started, yeah, but it's gonna be like boom, we're gonna be on the first of the year before you know it, everyone's shopping, all these things, family that you normally don't talk to come around. I know, I'm not, I'm, would you say the enemy can use family a lot? Probably more, who can push your buttons the most? Family, right? You can push your buttons. Your spouse can. Hopefully you're not still doing that. It's not a great way for Christmas. Your kids. But then, yeah, I mean, there's people that just push it, and they don't know how to stop. So this is an opportunity to see how much of the Lord we're really seeking and serving based on our attitude and keep in mind. And, and I don't know about you, but we all need grace in this time of season, amen? We get pushed through it so fast. So I want to leave you with this. And, and keep this in mind, just as it says on your bulletin, because it's important, all right? We serve a God that is mighty. And, and so in Romans chapter 5, Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we, are now, we, which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit 
whom he has given to us. So hope is this anticipation that we know that God is in control. And no matter what we are dealing with today in these next months or even coming into the new year, that God knows and sees everything. And when it seems hopeless, we should know as Christians, you are never without hope because you have the Holy Spirit. And this world and everything you see isn't what it's all about. It's about you and your relationship with God and knowing him. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? We don't want to be like Saul for the consequences of his sin. He could no longer hear what the Lord was saying. Amen? We want to hear what the Lord is saying. We want to hear what his word is saying to us in our hearts, and we want to be sensitive. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the life that we get to see in Saul, Lord. We get to see how he fell short by his decisions and his actions. And then we see how David, who was faithful, and even though he was not a perfect man, Lord, you used him. And you even used Saul. So, Father, in the midst of that, as we look at these lives, and even though it so, seems so far in the past, it does relate so much to us today that we may not become envious or jealous of those around us, that, Father, we would be uh, men and women that seek you with our whole heart, that, Lord God, are able to step back from any situation and just assess it underneath, the, underneath and through the, the guise of your word to know and think before we really give ourselves over. That, Father, we wouldn't be simple-minded, but that, Father, we would be uh, critical in our approach to this world and through the light of your word, that we would study it, that we would allow it to guide us and direct us and convict us when it's needed, Lord. We thank you for your promises, and we thank you that you have given us a hope that does not disappoint, that we have a hope that's greater than anything in this world, and we anticipate, Lord God, all that you have for us. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said... Amen. May you go and be a blessing.